0: That's probably familiar to you, and that is that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But what you quickly discover in life is that life is anything but a straight line. And over the last few weeks, even last month or so, I have really been drawn to a story in the Bible that Really is anything but a straight line. It goes all over the place. And yet, in the story, I find how individuals process a, a world catastrophe. I find in the story some advice and some wisdom in keeping us from making foolish mistakes and also some help when we've made the foolish mistake. I find in the story what we do when we are victims of injustice and also how we confront the fact when we are not the victim but the cause of injustice how do we process things that we can't change and what do we do about the things that we can change and it's the story of joseph and the story of joseph is anything but a straight line story of Joseph is going to take us in a lot of different places. In, in some ways it's, I was thinking about it, it is like that movie I could watch a hundred times and not get tired of. I don't know how many times I've heard the story of Joseph, but there are still scenes in it. There are still plot twists. There are still lines and quotes that come out of it that make me appreciate it even more when I know what's coming, when I anticipate exactly what's coming. I want us to approach, so over the next several Sundays, I want us to approach this life of Joseph, this biblical character, I'd like us to approach it as, as a meal that God is going to use to feed us spiritually over the next several Sundays. But before a meal, you got to go get the groceries and set the table. And so this will be a little bit different kind of a a message. A lot of times we dive into one particular passage. We dig deep there. But this is a little bit of an overview to get us to the the story of Joseph because it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so many things that happened before impact what goes on with Joseph. So let's get to know Joseph and understand Joseph. You're going to have to start with his great-grandfather, Abraham. And to to understand the family of Abraham is to appreciate that family. The family of Abraham is given amazing promises. As a matter of fact, I wanted you to hear, to, to start our time, I wanted you to hear some of the promises that Abraham is given in Genesis 12. So in just a moment, we're going to hear that a portion of Genesis 12 read. And then those same promises are repeated to Isaac, but they're also repeated to Jacob, who's Joseph's father. And I want you to hear how the promises are repeated to Jacob in Genesis 28. So the scripture that's going to be read in just a moment is going to be Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and Genesis 28. But hear how these promises are similar both to Abraham and to Jacob. Let's listen to them now.
1: Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. Genesis 28, 10-15 Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you.
0: I appreciate Rachel taking the time to record that. Did you hear similar themes? And those were just two, I could have picked five or six more in Genesis. Similar themes of blessing, of promise. So the promise was in Just again, to kind of orient ourselves to this story, the promise made to Abraham was promise of descendants. I'll make you a great nation, a multitude of people will come from you, Abraham. And also blessing directly from God, I will bless you. And Jacob hears that as well. And then there's also this, like a large piece of land. Look where you want to from the north to the south, the east, to the west. This land is going to be yours. So those promises are repeated to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, God's people in God's land, under God's blessing and God's rule. But this story is about humans. As straightforward as the blessing seems, like these are promises made to a family, made to individuals. That seems so straightforward. But as straightforward as that is, we're dealing with humans, which means it is going to be anything but straightforward. What happens with each generation after Abraham is things get more complicated and the family dysfunction grows. So by the time Joseph is born, he is born into a very dysfunctional environment. So you have family dysfunction growing, but you also see again and again in the book of Genesis, as well as the whole Bible, the persistent grace of God to the undeserving. So can we start just even with a little bit of background and because this will help us understand Joseph. Can we start with his great-grandfather, Abraham? So Genesis 12, you heard Rachel read those promises made to him. But here's the major problem with the promises given to Abraham. He's promised you're going to have like a multitude, a great nation's going to come from you, but he and his wife, Sarah, cannot have children for decades. So that has to... It has to make you ask some questions about the reliability of the promise when, like, how are we going to have a great nation if we can't even have one child? But the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord hears the prayers and the desires of Abraham and Sarah. And eventually, in his good plan, he has a child born to them, Isaac. And you're probably familiar with that story, but Isaac was only born after decades of heartbreak, painful circumstances, and Abraham trying to, like, make things happen on his own. And the consequences that come as a result of that, it really didn't work out well. So Abraham is promised to be the father of a great multitude, can't have kids for a while. Finally, Sarah delivers a son. But we're talking about, like, major promises, a great nation, and by the time Abraham is gone from the scene, we have one son of promise named Isaac. But then that's Joseph's grandfather, right? Isaac. And there are, he receives those same promises as well. Blessing and land and descendants are going to be yours and your family, Isaac. But here's the problem that Isaac deals with is that is his family breaks apart. There's such deep division in his family. So Isaac... Joseph's grandfather and his wife, Rebecca, have twins. Again, you, you're probably familiar with some of these stories, but let this be a reminder to it, or it may be new to you, but the story in scripture says, Isaac and Rebecca have twins, Esau and Jacob. And here's the problem. Isaac has a favorite twin. He loves Esau. And Rebecca has a favorite twin. She loves Jacob. And the story is just ripe for problems. As a matter of fact, their favoritism actually ends up blowing up the family. So you can read in Scripture as Jacob, with his mom's help, deceives his father. Tricks his father, maneuvers to get most of the estate, if we were putting it in our our terms these days. And estate battles are ugly battles, if you've ever seen them. So you can imagine what this does, the, the division, the bitterness, the emotional resentment that this escalates in a family when you've got mom and dad who have picked sides and you've got mom helping to trick dad. I mean, this is, this is not good, not a good situation. So much so that Esau, the older brother, desires to kill Jacob and Jacob has to escape. His mom says, you better get away. So we got the promises, yeah, to Abraham and now to Isaac. But at this point, Jacob, who seems to be the the son of promise and blessing, he's got to run for his life. It doesn't seem like these promises are really going to materialize, which again brings us to not just the great-grandfather or the grandfather, but the father of Joseph, Jacob. And if you think like, okay, this is what Jacob's going to do with all the family dysfunction, he's going to get away from all that mess. He's going to be free from all that mess and start on his own and build his own family and do it in such a way where there's not a lot of drama, not a lot of problems, not a lot of complicated family dynamics. If you expect that, that this story doesn't go anywhere near like that. Again, let's let's remember Jacob's relationship with his dad. Remember his dad who he tried to trick? I can't imagine that relationship really going that well most of the time. And he wasn't the favorite anyway and his mom I mean there's just all sorts of complicated dynamics do we do we appreciate those because we have to 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 know where the story of Joseph is going you could say well okay so Jacob's relationship with his dad is not great but how's his relationship with his wife and with his kids and that's where the complications just start to get exponential so again I'm not assuming this is brand new story to to most in this room, but think about Jacob. So this is the story in Genesis, and we're covering a lot of chapters here, and I'm trying to summarize, leaving a lot of things out, but the custom of his time, Jacob found a distant relative named Rachel, and he loved Rachel. He loved her so much that Jacob agreed With Rachel's dad to work for Rachel for seven years to marry her. He he would do that out of the love that he had for her, and he does. He works for seven years, only at the end of that seven years to be in one of the, the strangest stories in scripture. Like at the wedding, he actually doesn't marry Rachel, but he marries her sister. And Jacob's father-in-law now says, no, no, we do it different here. So you have to marry the firstborn, which is Leah. And, and then you can also work another seven years and marry Rachel. So again, now the, now the story has gotten so, so messed up. Jacob, remember he had tricked his dad, but now he's the one getting tricked. He's the one working another seven years. And, and you just have to, if we appreciate the human element of this story, you can imagine... Okay, so Jacob, if, if it were happening now, Jacob would have worked from 2014 to 2021. He's got that date circled on his calendar. This is the year it's going to happen. And now he's going to work again until 2028? I mean, this, is, this, this doesn't take place. I mean, we can put things up on, on a screen, and, and it seems like it's all flattened out. But this is 14 years of, I'm sure, resentment building I have to ask a question, it's not even meant to be a stupid one or a silly one, but how do you think the holidays go with Jacob and Rachel and Leah and the in-laws? What do you think Leah's relationship with her dad is? What do you think Rachel's relationship with her dad is? How do you think Rachel and Leah get along? How do you think Jacob gets along with Leah? So the Bible doesn't even fill in a million of those details, but it doesn't have to for us to appreciate the fact that in many levels, there is just heartbreak all over the place. It's such a mess. This web of complicated relationships, this this person lies to this person, this person tricks this person. This person can't be trusted because they'll do something that seems so similar to me. And it's really some of the only things that I can kind of overlay on this story is families that know the pain of deception that comes through addiction. Where one person lies, and then there's another lie, and lies compile with lies, and then there's the enabler, and then it, it just is painful. Or I think of so many families in our church who have entered into the world of foster care And you realize pretty quickly that family dysfunction, I mean, that's a term, but it often has people that get really hurt and there are very few clear cut winners and a lot of people that lose a lot in the process. So that's Jacob. So he's now married to sisters, Leah and Rachel. And Jacob wants children, he wants children with Rachel. That's his favorite wife. That's the one he wanted to marry in the first place. But in Genesis 29 and 30, it, it begins to unravel that story. Rachel, like so many stories in the Bible where people walk the path of infertility, she can't have children. But Jacob has another wife, Leah, and Leah, it says the Lord opened her womb and she has four children, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. You know, four children, that's going to play out over years that Rachel is watching another one's born, another one's born, another one's born, another one's born. Another one's born. Rachel, over time, this has to be frustrating and irritating to her. So she comes up with her own solution. She can't have kids, but she does have a servant. And maybe if I give my servant to my husband, then actually the kid will kind of be mine. And we all know, I mean, the hindsight's 2020. we all know that's not going to work. We all know that's inviting another layer. But this is the way family mess. This is the way sin works. This is the way complications work. This is the way deception works. It just begins to, to just escalate. And so Rachel gives her servant, Bilhah, who's not a, a full wife to Jacob, but she has kids with Jacob that's Dan and Naphtali. And Leah watches Rachel do that, and Leah decides, I'm going to do the same. So she gives her servant, Zilpah, to Jacob. Two more kids are born, Gad and Asher. And I think all these kids have some clue of this dynamic that is, I mean, frankly, awful. In the end, Leah has more children. She has Issachar and Zebulun, and finally a girl is born named Dinah. It's madness. Got four wives, 11 kids, and just layer after layer after layer after layer of problems that this is going to involve. How is any day normal in that household? How many years are going to go by where they're just all going to have to sit in this mess, which is, I think, important for you to realize and important for me to realize that sometimes family mess gets so complicated it does take a while. This isn't any excuse for poor choices and just kind of living with all of it, but it does help you recognize it takes a while to untangle things like this. And this is, no, this is going to be no exception, right? In the end, God, God does intervene and give Rachel, gives Rachel a child, and that child's name is Joseph. So Rachel finally has, has her child, and there's a sense of relief. Okay, finally, this child is born, and it's relieving and yet more complicated, and Rachel actually has one more child, and that child's name is Benjamin, but in a heartbreaking part of the story, Rachel dies in childbirth, and, which means Benjamin and Joseph now are going to be raised without their mother. They are going to have three stepmothers. I mean, it's how much how that have broken Jacob's heart. So in all of that, I mean, that's the, the family dynamics. In all of that, you have to ask, like, I wonder where God and Jacob are in that. What is their relationship? And that doesn't even get any easier to navigate because as I read the story, and you're welcome to read kind of in the Genesis 20s and 30s, you're going to read a good bit of the story of Jacob. Jacob's so complicated. So at one moment, it's like he's this high-stakes gambler willing to risk everything and make like for big returns. He's kind of like the person that you think, man, he's going to have a, a hefty bank account, but he's also going to probably just leave a lot of wounded people in his life. At times, that's exactly what Jacob seems like. And then yet at other times, Jacob, there's another side of him. Yeah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We know that. There's another side where he's receiving promises from God. He has visions of God. I've I've never had visions directly from God, and, and Jacob had. He wrestles with God, it says in Genesis 32. He makes vows to God. He makes these solemn promises to God. He speaks of God. To to hear Jacob talk is to hear him talk about God. So God's not absent from his life at all. He builds altars to God in Genesis 35. He is even renamed by God gives him a new name. Says you're not going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel. You're going to be a prince, not, not a deceiver anymore. Jacob's children encounter God and his promises through him. That's Again, that relationship with God is a complicated one. So I I say all of this to help us appreciate. By the time we pick up the story of Joseph, Jacob has had multiple encounters with God. Something's happening with him. He's gotten promises from God. And those promises go back to his father and his grandfather. But Joseph is a teenager. Mom is dead. Three stepmothers He's the favorite, which is good news, except for his half-brothers hate that fact that he's the favorite. Strained relationships wherever you look. And by the way, the brothers of Joseph, it's not like they're the 12 apostles or something wonderful. So much, so much messed up in their lives as well. What could possibly come out of that? What could possibly, what good could come out of the story of Jacob and Joseph? When you have sexual sin, when you have failed marriages, when you have heartache and infertility, when you have loneliness and death, when you have betrayal and jealousy, when you have rage and you have destructive patterns, when you have lies and prolonged deception, when you have disappointment, when you have foolishness, when you have family meltdowns, when you have hypocrisy, what good comes out? So all this today is really not for a history lesson, it's not just for a history lesson, but for us to realize that this is the kind of family, these are the kinds of individuals that God is going to choose to, to use and to work in. So I, I don't know the family backgrounds in here. I don't know all of them as well as I know mine. As well as I know like my own four half sisters and two half brothers. And, and all of the family dysfunction that runs up my family tree. But I do know that God works in families and individuals where there's a, a, a mess, where things are complicated, where things are disturbing and painful and wicked and wrong. And this might be a season of reckoning for all of us in that like this is not a place, church is not a place, the people of God, we're not a people that have to pretend and hide and act like there's not things in our past that have shaped where we are. I mean, we, we can recognize that, we can, we can see that, we can understand these are the kind of families that God works with. And and this affects us, doesn't it? It's not a straight line. Jesus said that those who are well, those who are healthy, they don't need a doctor. But those who are sick do. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I didn't come to to call the people that are most well-behaved, who have the family, like it just all looks really neat and tidy and clean. I didn't come to call the people who were so self-righteous, they didn't need a savior. I came to call sinners to repent. This is such good news. It's not just about a mess. It's not about your mess. It's also about God's persistent grace, the God that shows abounding and steadfast love to thousands of generations. Thousands of generations. The one who is our good shepherd, who will at times bring out the rod because he is the good shepherd, and he'll correct us, but also is the one who will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He isn't He isn't so distant that he can't be found. He has come and he's pursuing us. It's not a cliche. You can walk with God by faith, regardless of the background, regardless of the mess you've had to deal with because of someone else, regardless of the mess you've caused. There is mercy that is new this morning. As we read this story and... Again, I just want to set the table for how I'd like for us to read this story in the coming weeks. So when we read Genesis 37 to 50, which that's the story of Joseph, I want you to see it on a couple different dimensions. And in some ways, all the dimensions are functioning at the same time. But I think it's going to be helpful to appreciate, like hold all those together, and that's going to help us apply. And really, okay, what is God teaching me through this ancient story that happened 4,000 years ago. I'd be like, what could apply to us today? So the first dimension that I want you to see that story as we begin to unfold, like the story of Joseph, is to see the dimension where things happen in any given moment, and God works right there in any given moment. Individually, personally, he works in any given moment. Joseph's story is going to cause us to look at individually what's going on, and there's going to be a cast of characters. There's going to be men and women. There's going to be major characters and minor characters, and they're going to make decisions, and they're going to have character traits and personality traits and and circumstances, And, and God is going to deal with things in that moment. So we'll open a story, and we'll read a specific situation. Sometimes that situation is going to be held up as a mirror, like would you make that decision? Look in the mirror. Would you do that and then other times, it'll be almost not so much like a mirror, but a window. We're going to observe someone else and the way they made decisions, and we're going to learn from that. But, but God is working in any given moment. There's specific situations that we go through, and some of the stories in Joseph, some of the individual stories, are, they're going to give us guidance, and they're going to give us advice, and some things are going to cause us to have a reality check. We're going to have to zero in on things in our life wherever you are in life. Are you a teenager? You in your early 20s? There's things in Joseph's life that are going to be very, very important that you, like, look, okay, in that given moment, what did he do? How did he respond? Are you in midlife? There's going to be some things because we're going to track Joseph, his life. I mean, how how do we respond there and Maybe you're an older age. I think we're going to have models and we're also going to be convicted and it's going to cause us to do some soul searching. So when we read the story of Joseph, I do want us to like read in the moment, like what happened right there? What can we learn right there with Joseph, with this character? But there's something wider because it isn't just about Joseph. I want you to see what God can do, not just in any given moment, but over a lifetime. Over a lifetime with not just one individual, but with a wider network of family members and people that Joseph comes into contact with. So I want you to think of your family and your friends and your neighbor. There's going to be a longer sweep of time. So, yeah, you can make a decision, okay, what am I going to do this afternoon? I'm going to live in the present. What am I going to do today? I also want you to see there, there is, you are living a life, however many days God gives you, however many days God puts breath in your lungs like we sang about a moment ago, However long that is, you are going to impact family and friends and neighbors. And through that lifetime, there's going to be many dangers, toils, and snares that you're going to walk through. And how's that going to go for you? It's not going to be a straight line. Things are going to take time to develop. The, thing, the problem you want solved today may not get solved for 15 years. You just don't know. We don't know. What are you going to do about that? What am I going to do about that? What about when I'm affected by others' decisions and it takes a while to work that out? What if others are affected by my decisions? What did it mean that Jacob had more than one wife? That meant something for a lifetime. What does it mean that Joseph's mother died early in his life? That meant something for his whole life that impacted him. What does it mean that Jacob's family and all his wives and kids, that really didn't blend that well. It was more mixed up than blended. What did that mean? What does it mean that Jacob foolishly played favorites? What happened in the big moments? What happened the rest of the time? When you look over a lifetime, you realize many days we don't see much like a bigger picture. It's hard to see it all in any given moment. But you back up a little bit. realize A lot of days are going to seem pretty normal. You're going to do your job, fulfill your roles, try to love your neighbor, try to love God with all your heart. I think it's important that we back up a little bit and see like all these little things contribute to a bigger picture in life. See, when you track the story of Joseph, you see grace for past mistakes. You see a reset where the past sins are dealt with and not passed along. You see reconciliation for major message. You see a family coming together. There's no guarantee of that, but you do see a family in the end coming together even when they had been so torn apart. I say that because we need to have this faithful endurance. Uh, Ogletown's a church where there are people that are in their 90s and 80s and 70s that call Ogletown their church home. And God may be working things over your life so that right now in the last years of your life, you don't become bitter and cynical, but you have the peace that Joseph seemed to have as he entered into the late stages of his life. Or maybe God is working right now in, in this period of time, or maybe you're a teenager wondering like, where there are some significant life decisions you can make right now that could endure over the long haul and take you deep with the Lord over the long haul. There's one more dimension that's easy to forget because I can see like my moment, I can see like, well, I want to live my life well. But then you back it out one more level and maybe the easiest to forget yet the most important dimension is throughout all time. What is God doing there? Surely that matters. Surely it matters, not just like this Sunday in January, and surely it matters not just like however many decades my life occupies, but surely there's something even bigger than that. And that's what God is doing throughout all time. God's plan for everyone, everywhere, for all time. And that that unfolds over centuries. That unfolds not just over decades. That traces back to like Abraham, but it goes back even further, and it it certainly goes to Joseph, but it goes much further forward than that. That scale is almost impossible to fathom. Joseph's story reminds us like you can't just even look at like Joseph's lifetime because Joseph's lifetime sits like right in the middle of something very very important God working a plan over about 400 years where Abraham Isaac and Jacob get these promises like you're going to inherit a whole land but there's only like one one man to occupy the whole land how's that going to work he could be wiped out in an afternoon by a tribal warlord or something by the end of Genesis by the time you pick up Exodus it's not just one man it's hundreds of thousands And it is a great nation at that point. And what sits right in the middle of one man and a great nation, a great nation ready to occupy the land God had promised, what sits right in the middle of that is Joseph, that story. So God is working through Joseph in prison, in a palace, in family dysfunction, in reunions and reconciliation, to do something that actually had a 400-year scope and much beyond that when you start talking centuries, when you start talking the big plan of God, though, you are quickly going to not just get to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Quickly, you're going to have to get to, like, what's the point of all of it and the point of all of it, the center character of all of the Bible. is not going to be Abraham. It's not going to be Joseph. It is going to be a family member of theirs named Jesus Christ. See, God is doing so many things, we don't always see the layers, but God will use this family, one of their descendants, in the fullness of time to bring the Messiah into the world. It's amazing, and you see echoes. See, when I read the Joseph story, knowing Jesus has come, I, I hear like, oh, there was an anticipated son being born. And I hear that differently when I know, yeah, there was a greater son that came later. When I think of how That son was loved by many, but hated also by many and betrayed by his own. When I think of Joseph experiencing the presence and favor of God, I think no one had that more than God's son, Jesus. When I think of the vindication and power that Joseph enjoyed, I think of Jesus' vindication and his power. The forgiveness extended to his persecutors, the rescuer of the world. And we're hearing echoes and rhymes of the story of Joseph. And we see like, oh, there's a greater story than even the story of Joseph. You zoom out far enough. We actually look at Joseph a little bit differently than even Joseph experienced because we look through the cross, through Jesus Christ, through the central character of the whole Bible. We look and we realize we have something that Joseph even didn't even have. We have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. God with us, Emmanuel. We know what God looked like because we've seen Jesus. We know his nature. We have assurance of forgiveness. We have the hope of a new creation and those things profoundly shape our lives. So as we get ready to kind of move into the story of Joseph, I am going to tell you life is not going to be a straight line. My life's not, your life is not going to be a straight line. But by faith, however that path winds, you can still, you can still walk with God. So can I pray for us and ask God to open our eyes to maybe give you hope that you haven't had in a while that whatever mess you even brought into this new year God's mercies are new and fresh and God knows exactly how to work through complicated situations. Let me pray for us, all right? Father, thank you for time to get an overview of several chapters. Thank you for the reminder that it is not, it's not about trying to get things just right so that you'll be happy with us. Thank you for the grace that you give to us. I pray for the person that really doesn't know what to do and where to turn. I pray that this story of Joseph's life may have such an impact on their life, it would would change the direction. So you can do all that and so much more. So we ask for you to teach us and to give us hope through your word. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.